You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Indians, brought to you by the Locker Room app. I'm going to apologize now if you had planned to make it to my Locker Room Thursday evening. Uh, Technical difficulties arose and it didn't happen. The makeup time for that is going to be either Friday or Saturday during the Indians game. So come, venture frustrations, chat with me. We'll see how long it goes based on how many people show up. But as of now, I'm probably leaning more towards Saturday's game just because if weather is good, I'll be hitting my first college baseball game of the season. I'll be going out uh, for a three o'clock game, which could be done with enough time to get home. But, you know, one also would like to see one's family. You might hear my cat in the background, so I apologize. But yes, locker room's a lot of fun. We will get on there. I'm probably going to end up doing Saturday's game, probably closer to the second half of the game. So it's a chance to uh, celebrate if things are going well and vent if things are going poorly. So thanks to this weird schedule, we don't have a game. We have two days this week with no games. So let's talk about some of the news. Uh, one, we'll, we'll wait on the Bauer thing. Let's do some quick old friend alerts. The White Sox, you know, the favorite. Yes, they lost Eloy Jimenez, but this is, you know, the division favorite. They're down another outfielder because Billy Hamilton, who wasn't good enough to get even close to the end of camp with the Indians, was on their team. Uh, he got hurt, and he is being put on the disabled list so they could call up Nick Williams. I remember Nick Williams. I went and pulled up his data from his time in Philadelphia. I mean, that Cole Hamels deal really never worked out, did it? I mean, they were able to turn Alfaro into a central piece of the Real Mudo deal, so that's kind of worked out. But by and large, man, I mean, Williams, his first year was just 83 games. He looked good on 110 WRC+. plus Defense, brutal. Comes back in 2018, 140 games, 448 played appearances, uh, 102 WRC+. plus. So average bat, brutal defense again. And then basically Philly looks to move on from him from that point. His position isn't guaranteed, barely plays in 19, doesn't play at all in 20. And he is now the guy stepping up for the White Sox. Uh, they have painted themselves into a bad situation. Yes, they went out and spent some money on their bullpen. They added Liam Hendricks. My now that always struck me as odd. Why? Because they already had a dynamite bullpen. Guys like uh, Cody Hewer, Matt Foster, Michael Kopech, we knew was going to start the year there. Garrett Crochet, Aaron Bummer. I know they lost their closer, Alex Colome, and they upgraded there. But if you're going to spend some money, man, that outfield was already shaky. I mean, Eloy should have always probably been a DH. I know, I know, Yerman Mercedes is playing off the wall. But the likelihood of that continuing, I think we also know, is very low. And when they did go out and invest, it was the Adam Eaton contract, which, eh, you know, we'll see how that turns out long term as well. But just some odd moves for this team uh, in general. In terms of other news, got to feel bad for Oakland. Thoracic outlet surgery is indeed what's going to happen for Rosenthal. Yes, they needed a shortstop, and that was one of their motivators in that Chris uh, Davis trade for Elvis Andrews. But it was also to clear some salary, go out and sign some players. And the primary one was adding Rosenthal after they lost Hendricks. And he's gone. He's down. He's out for the count. It's just extremely unfortunate for them as a team. And 
on top of that, AJ Puck is going on the disabled list for them as well. Uh, they've had a rough start to the year that just seems to get worse and worse. In terms of their closer situation, whew, I mean, their bullpen. Adam Kalarik has already had some struggles. Uh, Jordan Weems, Deleus Guerrero, who's bounced around, Yusmaro Pettit, who I talked about on the podcast, Jake Diekman, who's kind of a lefty specialist, uh, Sergio Romo, Lou Trevino. It's it's a little bit brutal for them. I don't know if they're going to be in the market to trade for someone or if they might look at promoting some young arms. I was kind of curious to see, like, pitching depth. Like, who are the guys? Man, Domingo Acevedo. I really liked him with the Yankees uh, when he was in the lower levels. Not a ton. Gosh, Zach Jackson. He was a real interesting pitcher at Arkansas. Is like a reliever with plus stuff, but like no idea where to put the ball. Like he had been a guy, guy, good guy for the Indians to try to fix with some of their uh, biomechanic stuff at times. Uh, but yeah, it's more. That's always the thing. Looking at these Brett Graves. I remember when I liked him as a draft pick, Mississippi State. I feel like I can get in trouble by naming the wrong Mississippi school. Uh, yeah, it's, they're kind of in a, a mess right now. I don't know, you know, do you try Grant Holmes, who was a former top prospect first round pick, who's been a bit of a mess? James Caprillion, honestly, just move him to the pen. That might be their best hope. So there's that. And then should we talk Trevor Bauer? Um, why don't we take a quick break and then we'll talk about the Trevor Bauer situation. And we'll talk about what's occurring with the Reds and another old friend alert there as well. So our, one of our good sponsors is betonline.ag. And let's go ahead and give you another line for the Indians game tomorrow. It is a... Detroit is getting a run and a half. It's, every game is a run and a half in this one uh, across the league. But Detroit is the one who's receiving in this one. The over-under is eight and a half runs. They're between eight and nine for the over-under on all the runs. The money line for the Cleveland Indians matchup, plus 168 for the Tigers, minus 183 for the Indians. So the Indians are favored monetarily with Plesak versus Julio Tehran. If you want to go place a bet over at betonline.ag, remember to use the promo code LOCKEDON to get a 50% bonus. That's right, a 50% bonus on your first deposit. They're more than just sports. They have gambling, uh, like casino gambling. They have betting on all sorts of events. You can go check it out for yourself. Again, that is betonline.ag. We're going to use the promo code LOCKEDON to get a 50% bonus. Remember to go check out the Locked On Today podcast with host Peter Bukowski. All the news you will need. Okay, so let's start with Bauer, as promised. His uh, baseballs are being checked because of reports of a sticky residue and a some scuffing to the ball. So let's dive a little bit into some of the reasons why uh, Bauer, in this particular case, is a very controversial figure. And when baseball said they're going to start looking for foreign substances on baseball, he became target number one. Now I know they're saying it's coincidental. That's there's no way this is coincidental. He made a big deal about the Astros adding spin. And, you know, there's a lot of Indians fans who are right now clinging to like, I'd love to see what Garrett Cole's uh, fastballs look like. And then Bauer uh, for one inning after he did that in 2018, his, he clearly doctored the baseball, like his, his spin rates changed dramatically. Uh, you know, Saros, you know, Saris wrote a great article that kind of goes into some of what goes on where 
it's, you know, it does more for someone than steroids to talk to the baseball with some of the things they figured out that, uh, that it's, you know, it, it's more effective far and away than any steroid would be. And, you know, Bauer has spent a lot of time talking about how can one add miles per hour and spin and that if you could do this and there's just been a lot of smoke near him to the point where there are a lot of people who myself included really think that he probably was doctoring baseballs last year. Um, you go into his career data and he is remarkably consistent age 23 through 26 has that breakout in uh, 2018 and then his 2019 data is not great let's be honest has the huge year last year and all of his spin data just jumps off the map to levels that like well beyond anything we've ever seen which make it all the more suspicious like let's talk about 2019 fastball spin 100 100th percentile highest fastball spin in baseball curveball spin 92nd percentile and you're like okay well he's always had a great fastball he's always missed bats that is very fair 2019 curveball spin is 59th percentile fastball spin is 90th so a 10 percentile jump you may think is not huge when you're going from 90 to 100th that's huge when you are going from like that point to the very peak that is a big increase and the curveball spin gaining what 40 percentile points nearly that is also huge 2018 that great year at the indians Fastball spin, 82nd percentile. Curveball spin, 70th percentile. So he is now gone. You could then say, well, at least, you know, in 2020, the or 2019, I should say, the curveball was lower. So there's some data in that great year that he had. In, uh, so you go to 2017, curveball, 64%. Fastball, 72nd%. 2016, 65 and 64. 2015, 54 and 72. To go from where he was to both of those being the extreme end and the fastball being the highest spin in baseball is extremely suspicious. I mean, there's no other way around it. I get why he's being tested. Be like, well, what about someone like Shane Bieber at the Indians? His rookie year, 79th percentile for fastball, 30th for curve. No, I'm sorry. That's not right. His rookie season, 59th and 9th in 2018 2019 50th and 26th last year 79th and 30th so yes he did go from 9th to 30th but we're still not seeing a guy jump up from 50 the 50s to the 90s and his fastball did go from the high 50s to the high 70s which is again a bit difference from a guy who's going from the 50s to the highest percentile and that is why I, I am one of the many. I think Bauer's doing something. He is doctoring the ball. There's just too much data out there. There's too many interesting points. For as much as, if there's one thing that I would say that would be against this is he likes to point the finger at others, and he was really big on accusing the Astros. So unless he's doing a, if you can't, you know, beat him, join him mentality, that would be a bit odd. But the just the outlying data. I mean, that is where you look at that and you go, wow, this is very weird and like i said it, the the overall percentile jump last year is unbelievable and again you can say short season weird year that's fine but there is a reason why he is getting checked out by the league and he is going to be watched heavily by the league and we'll see what his performance is like because again this is a pitcher who has essentially been more of a mid-rotation starter outside of two years the year he won the Cy Young and that 2018 uh, season with the Indians, 
outside of those two years, he I don't think he ever had a war that broke four uh, before that. I could be wrong. No. So he has one year where his war even broke three. Now, obviously, 2020 in a full season, that would have been a second year where the war would have broken three. But his best year before that, 2017, was still a 2-9. So he's just, he was a solid mid-rotation starter who late in his career has started to find extra spin. Make of it what you will. I've given you the data. You can come to your own conclusions. Speaking of uh, former Indians performing well, if you've not been paying attention, Tyler Naquin uh, leads the National League in home runs and RBIs. 316 average, 435 on base, 947 slugging, a 1382 OPS. Now, we have seen him do this before. He is a streaky hitter. When he is good, he's good. When he's bad, he's awful. He could be in a major advantageous position being in the National League and pitchers not knowing that he is a fastball only or uh you know, he's not a fastball hitter. That if you throw him the high heat, he's gonna miss it. If you he's non traditional in that regard. Like a pitch that a lot of hitters hit well, he hits terribly, and pitches that a lot of guys can't hit, he hits well. So he's in this kind of ideal situation where teams may not be familiar. I mean, obviously he's not gonna keep this up. That year that he had that utterly fantastic season, I was thinking, was it I'm gonna do a quick pause and check for him. Remember back in his rookie year when he had the first half with a 314 average, 374 on base, 591 slugging, 965 OPS. Yeah, that's that's what he does. I mean, he is a first-half hitter for his entire career. A lot of people are getting uh, annoyed that the Indians let him go, to which I respond, really? like He was pretty awful last year. They had some other options. I'm not heartbroken by that. I wish him well. I hope he proves me wrong. But if you're someone out there who is getting very upset by what's happening with Naquin. Just go look at those career stats. Uh, a 274 war isn't bad. He's been a, you know, a league average bat for the most part during his career. Last year was terrible. And you just, okay, the OPS pluses. Rookie, 128. Then a 37, a 76, a 103, a 68 last year. Again, I wish him well. I wanted Marcus Stroman, if I'm being perfectly honest, that draft year. Uh, that was the player I was hoping they would take. He And it's one of those things I've talked about many times. Both Naquin and Bradley Zimmer were widely called the best, had the best hit tool in their draft classes. And just goes to show me like how little hit tool is understand, understood and how badly it's evaluated because neither of these guys had good hit tools. Like Zimmer was University of San Francisco small school striking out a ton like in retrospect that like that is why he was a top 10 talent that fell like teams are smarter than the people who write on this stuff uh one pick after Naquin was Lucas Giolito DJ Davis who a lot of people wanted the Indians to take went with the next pick he's yet to get to the majors then you have Corey Seager Michael Waka Chris Stratton Lucas Sims Marcus Stroman and the next pick, James Ramsey. Do you remember his time with the Indians? Outfielder. Uh, I thought he was going to get a chance in the bigs at some point. Devin Marrero. Richie Schaefer, who uh, spent a lot of time down in AAA with the Indians. Uh, Lewis Brinson, who was the centerpiece of the uh, the Yelich deal. You keep going down that list. Jose Barrios. Kevin Plawecki. Uh, Mitch Hanger. Joey Gallo. 
Lance McCullers. This was like, I think the last year of the old uh, comp system, because this is all still in the first round. Uh, Matt Olson, Jess Winkler, some guys we talked about. Technically speaking, 60 picks between the first round and the supplemental first round. Weird time back then in baseball for the draft. But, I mean, Naquin turned into a solid player. And that's all you can really ask for. He's been up and down. He's been inconsistent. And his inconsistencies are why the Indians let him go and did not offer him arbitration. If he had been more consistent, like a 90 OPS most years, he probably would still be here. But right now, he is blistering the ball in the early goings. If we go pull his name up over on Baseball Savant, I'm sure he is, yeah, you, you know, he is one of the higher names up there because he's performing so well. Uh, it is a very early sample size, but let's put it this way. 2021 percentile ranks, exit velocity, 99th percentile, max exit velocity, 95th percentile, hard hit percentage, 100th percentile, expected batting average, 96, expected slugging, 99, expected weighted on base, 97, Barrel percentage, 99. Walk percentage, 68. Outs above average, 77 as a defender. K rate, 40%. Whiff rate, 5th percentile. Chase rate, 30th percentile. So he is still free swinging. He's just having a lot of... uh, He's hitting the ball hard when he connects. Those higher percentiles are sure signs that coming to earth is definitely going to occur. But again, uh, we hope... Uh, former Indian does very well uh, but it has been interesting to watch what Naquin has done in this short time if you get a chance if you have the ability go check some highlights uh, it's one of those situations with all the Indian struggles where you're kind of like of course he's doing this right now uh, of course he is having a time for the ages at the start of the year that Reds team Shog- uh, the reason he made it is because Shogo Akiyama was hurt he's going to come back from the disabled this soon you go and you look at someone like uh, Arrestes Aquino, who had that 19 home runs in 56 games after he'd had 28 home runs in 78 games in AAA. Uh, 2020, he got just 23 games, 47 at-bats. That's who Naquin's competing with. I don't know. I don't think they're going to necessarily... Naquin's filling the Derek Dietrich role from a year ago. Do you remember how good he was with the Reds? Or maybe it was two years ago where he was like a borderline all-star who ended up getting cut by August or so. But he's kind of filling in that fill-in role, and he's playing so well, they can't bench him. So I'll be curious to see how they're going to balance this out because they already have too many out. They're the only team that has too many outfielders. And I do get asked a lot of questions about Aquino because of that power output. But I want to point out, even in a year that he is so ridiculous that he has 19 home runs in 56 games, his OPS was 892. Now, yes, that's a great OPS, but it's not based on what the power was like his slugging was a 576 on base was a 316 he is never and that's with him hitting out of his mind a 316 on base the rest of is never going to be a starter uh you can just go and look at that whenever people ask it's like yes when he was playing unbelievably now his bat pip was actually low at that point in time so you know maybe there is a bit of a case for him but still he was very clearly just in Fuego, and his on base was average, so you expect that to balance out quite a bit uh, when he is not on fire. We're going to take another quick little message break here. We'll come back and talk all-time Indian seventh round. I hope uh, people enjoyed the all-time Indian sixth round discussion. 
again, Joey Wendell, greatest pick in six-round team history. I'm here talking about the Built of Bar. That's right, Built Bar. My breakfast and lunch today, I had uh, cookie dough and the caramel brownie, and those were delicious. And that is, it's just, it's a nice, easy, on-the-go meal. It's one of those things, I grab a handful, I throw them in my bag, and I go. And something like the Built Bar broth, I've had to put that up because (laughs) the smell of it is making my cats, one of my cats ripped open one of the containers to get at the chicken smell in that, that it's got a very natural smell uh, that the cat enjoyed eating as well. And I wouldn't recommend doing that, but I'm just saying as a type of uh, quality product you get where it's appealing to humans and cats as well. Now, if you want to go to Built Bar, and you should, because it's delicious and amazing, and I I don't just, you know, read these ads for them. I also buy from them. Uh, you want to use the promo code LOCKDOWN15. That gets you 15% off. That is the same deal I get as a repeat customer. It's a fantastic deal. Helps out our network. Go to BuiltBar.com today. Use that promo code LOCKDOWN15. Get the mixed flavor box. Find out which flavor it is you like. It's different person to person. We have our debates in the chat, and... But at the end of the day, it all comes down to we all love the product. Go check it out for yourself, BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON15. So talking all-time seventh round, the first thing I always talk about is the highest cost guy, and that goes to Tim Fedorov. Now, that made me go, wow, Tim Fedorov, really? Uh, He was one of those guys that when the Indians went and made the, I believe it was the Paul Bird deal, they took all that extra money and signed him, TJ House, Bryce Stoll, maybe one other player. This was back in 2008. It was a draft where they immediately reinvested that money. Fedorov, I believe, was a draft-eligible sophomore. He commanded back then $725,000 to sign as a seventh-round pick. That year, so his two years at UNC, 2007, he hit 344, 396, 498, and 894 OPS. That 2008 year, 404 batting average, 468 on base, 642 slugging, a 110 OPS. He walked more than he struck out. You go through to 2012, in 54 games in Akron, 305, 396, 443, 839 OPS. Then goes up to Columbus for 69 games, 325, 393, 517, 910 OPS. I don't, I probably, if we still had the old message board somewhere, you could find a top 10 list I did. He was undoubtedly, as the system was pretty terrible at that point in time, Probably a top four prospect for me. Those are great numbers as a center fielder, walking throughout his minor league career nearly 12% of the time, his strikeout rates around 14 to 15. Yeah, no power at all. If you just wanted to make contact, 2013 and then 2014, that's kind of the end of his career, it just implodes. All of a sudden, he goes from being a guy who's hitting his worst batting average, playing in you know 2011, he played in Columbus and Akron as well. And that year, Akron, 338, 339, 447, 272, 370, 362, 732 OPS. That was his worst production. And he just, at age 26 and 27, it doesn't come together. It's so odd that, like, in 2012, he's age 25. The Indians weren't good. Why did he not get an opportunity? One of those, like, huh, questions. Maybe someone can dig that out or remembers better than I can. But just I wanted to go dig up his numbers because I was like, man, I really liked him. How did he never play in the majors? And he didn't. And it's just kind of odd to go and you look at that data. Uh, after that, he went and played, it looks like, in the Mexican League in 2014 and 2015. 
sad that he didn't get that opportunity. Honestly, like he had earned his way in there in 2012. Next highest, Eric Haas. Then you have at 580,000. Then you have the guys who got closer to a slot, Kirk McCarthy, Josh McAdams at 250,000 each. Cody Morris, who I'm very high on, is the fifth highest bonus at $185,600. He is one of the great sleepers in system. Michael Tinsley, uh, Simone Lucas, some interesting names. Uh, Both catchers, both offensive first types, one college, one high school. And I don't remember Bobby... I'll come back at all, who uh, was another, he was a high school catcher taken in 2006. Now that was before I was really in depth on this team. And he stuck with uh, the Indians through 2008. Highest he ever got was Mahoning Valley. So it's the reason why I don't necessarily remember him as well. Who is the greatest pick? It's Von Hayes. If you remember Von Hayes, uh, not only did they get a lot when they traded him, but 1979, seventh overall pick worth 29.9 war. Your next guy is David Bell, 15.2 war. And then you have Larry Anderson at 13.9 war. Uh, David Bell was the ninth pick in the seventh round. Anderson was the 10th pick. Von Hayes was the seventh. And then Russell Brannion at 11.2, who was the 10th pick in the second ra- or in the seventh round. Your fifth highest war goes to Greg McMichael, who was a relief pitcher, who was the second pick in the seventh round back in 1988. I was trying to think of Michael. He did not make... Hmm. I knew he finished high in the Rookie of the Year as a closer, and he had those two years in the early 90s with Atlanta in 93 and 94 where he was a really good closer. But even once he was no longer a closer, the numbers for him were still quite good. His ERA pluses were solid and steady. Didn't debut till he was 26 with the Braves uh, in 93. Kind of unfortunate that he never got that opportunity with Cleveland. He was released by the Indians in 91 before he caught on with the Mets, but uh, a productive pitcher. Uh, Brannion, we know the story. Larry Anderson, as I recall, he is the Jeff Bagwell deal, right? Isn't he the guy that, uh, yeah, uh, traded by the Houston Astros to the Boston Red Sox in 1990 for Jeff Bagwell? Whew, yeah, you know, those trades happen. Uh, he was traded to Pittsburgh for John Burden and Larry Littleton. Uh, relief pitcher, right? Yeah, and he was just a relief pitcher, but he did pitch 17 years, so good on Larry Anderson. Von Hayes, uh, Cleveland at age 22 and 23, and that's what's kind of interesting. So age 22, he didn't even play enough to no longer qualify for a rookie of the year. He, in 1982, has a... Not a particularly great year. Uh, 250, 310, 389, 699 OPS. An OPS plus relative to the league that year of 91. And, of course, the infamous trade happens after that where the Indians get Jay Baller, George Vukovic, Jerry Willard, Manny Trillo, and most importantly, Julio Franco. And uh, eventually he does get to an all-star game. You know, that's that's the thing to point out. He does. He finishes eighth in the MVP in 1986, makes an all-star game in 89 with Philly, is a solid player. But, uh, I mean, he's just, you go through and you look at the war values for him. Uh, defense was never his forte. It was offense. But 2.9 war that year for Cleveland, then a four, a three, a five, a three, a two, a five, a three. Just productive, consistently productive 
for Philadelphia in the 80s. The other future big leaguers taken uh, Mike Young in 1978, who they failed to sign, Pep Harris in 1991, who they did sign. Seth Gressinger in 1993, did not sign. Los Diaz, catcher in 1982, who did not sign. J.J. Thobe, uh, 1992, did sign. Dwight Taylor, 81, signed. Tommy Hinsno, 86, signed. Jim Kremel, let's see, that was in 1970, did not sign. And then Eric Haas in 2011, who did sign, of course. Not your list. That's again comparing it to what we talked about yesterday. It's not a terrible list. I mean, you got a guy who had a career WAR of nearly thirty, and D- David Bell was a solid starter for a lot of years at that fifteen WAR, a seventeen-year reliever, uh, an outfielder who played in the wrong era. Again, you know, like I know there's some off the field with Russ Brannion, but the numbers for him are just shocking. How little attention and how few opportunities he got. He only had, what, four seasons where he played in over 100 games, yet through his entire career OPS was a one thir- or OPS plus was a 113. His OPS was 813 for his career. And again, that's someone who played 14 years bouncing around baseball. Greg McMichael took a while to hit, but then was a solid reliever for six, seven years consecutively. It's a really good group. So who is the worst pick? We're nearing the end of the time, and I could just keep going on the good ones. So let's take a second, pause, and then talk about the worst pick. Some fascinating players for this. Again, looking at guys who played under three years, did not get uh, to high air above. Brian Wright is fascinating. Uh, great hitter at NC State and had two good years of production. OPS 750-787 out after two years. I don't know if they moved on or if he moved on. I was trying to track that down. It looks like he didn't play any more baseball after that. Uh, there's the recent guys in Josh uh, McAdams and Lucas Simeon who with the team and were higher bonus guys who only lasted three years that there's a level of that when you look at for type of player there's the 80s where they drafted a bunch of pitchers who only got two years with uh gary williamson chris kaler and paul perry but at the end of the day worst pick has to be the three guys who never played baseball never really heard from again you have carrie lindsey casey lindsey i'm sorry in uh 1975 Langston high school and when I went to try to figure out who he was, uh, I think he then went on to sell carpet and flooring because there's a Casey Lindsay who does that in Billings, Montana. So I'm going to go out on a limb and think they're related in some way. Never shows up in another form or with the high school team. Gary Hardick, H-A-R-D-I-C. Yes, that could be a tricky one. Went to the Georgia Military Academy. Again, no college, no drafting after that, after being a seventh round pick in 1976. And then maybe the most interesting of this group of never never was is Norman Morton, who they took in 1980 out of MacArthur High School, which has turned into a really good, uh, still is a really strong high school program. So to follow this, the Indians take him in the seventh round of the 1980 June amateur draft. The Pittsburgh Pirates take him in the first round of the January draft secondary phase in 1981 out of Miami-Dade College. The White Sox take him in the first round, third overall, of the 1981 June draft secondary phase the Toronto Blue Jays in the second round of the 1982 January draft second phase draft him and the Expos in the second round the 1982 June draft secondary phase also draft him he doesn't sign any of those times not even the last one with Montreal never pitches after being drafted you know if we do the count the Indians the Pirates the White Sox the Blue Jays and the Expos five times drafted never signs uh 
in some respects, I, I don't want to put him with the other two because the other two were just one and dones where the Indians just drafted him and may not have even really tried to sign them. But uh, Norman Morton here went on to Miami, Dade College, left-handed pitcher, just an interesting player. All of them are hard to find data on, if I'm being perfectly honest. But that time the Indians drafted him was the only time he was in that main draft. Those secondary drafts he was part of or the January draft, those are always lesser things. There was talent that came out of there sometimes, but it's very rare. The June draft was your primary place. Not a lot of guys slid past that. If you slid past that and you didn't get taken in the other phases, there was typically a reason. And there's a reason why they got rid of those drafts as well. So those are your worst, your best. Von Hayes, one of those players who, you know, I knew the name growing up, but I, I didn't really know the story until he became an adult and looked at the five for one, which for all the ne- negativity on it, I mean, Philadelphia might have won that trade. I mean, Julio Franco, great player. During the time that Von Hayes was in Philly, he was more productive than Franco. And the other pieces didn't really amount to much. So Von Hayes is your great, your low end. We got the Hardick, Morton, and Lindsay. We'll continue looking. We're only going to go through maybe the top 11 rounds. That's where I think I'd cap it because the 11th round does have some additional value compared to the rest. But uh, thank you for listening. I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Locked on Indians podcast. And for the next year, at least, go Tribe.